Well, the topic that we have this afternoon is entitled, Imitate Me, uh, Paul's Theology of Discipleship. And uh, I have to admit, there, I was given some flexibility in what I could choose, and this is what I landed on for a couple of reasons. First of all, uh, I, I do teach on the, the Apostle Paul and his, his writings, his life, his ministry in the seminary, so he is a, a particular interest of mine when it comes to the Scriptures. Uh, but also, this was an opportunity for me to evaluate my own life as one who, who is involved in, in ministry as you are. Uh, there are times when we have to uh, dedicate uh, some, some special energy to uh, examining the scriptures and, and holding up our, our lives and our ministry approaches in light of that standard and, and seeing where things need to change. And so this was for me a, a needed uh, time for, for recalibration, reminder of what is essential in our ministries. And I trust it'll be the same for you as well. Now, when we talk about the concept of imitation, especially as it relates to Paul and his teaching on discipleship, I think the first thing to emphasize here is that this is a neglected concept as it relates to the Apostle Paul and his teaching. We don't typically look to Paul for our uh, development of, of discipleship in the church. Maybe you do, and that would be a good thing. But often, uh, Paul is not the first person that we turn to with regards to discipleship. One of the reasons for that is, is that the typical terms that we find so frequently in the books of, of the Gospels as well as Acts, the discipleship terms that we come to expect, uh, they are completely absent in the writings of Paul. So, for example, the, the noun mathetes for disciple or the verb mathetuane to make a disciple. You'll never come across them in any of Paul's writings, though you will come across them frequently in the Gospels and the book of Acts. Even the verb akulothane, which means to follow. Again, it's standard verb that we find in, in the Gospels as it relates to the, the, the disciples following Jesus and what Jesus called his, his disciples to do, that verb is only used by Paul once in 1 Corinthians 10 verse 4, and it's not used there of, of discipleship per se. So the standard terminology is, is missing. At least it appears so on, uh, uh, at, at face value or on the, on the surface. And this absence of discipleship terminology, at least the terminology that we come to expect, creates the impression that discipleship wasn't a primary interest for the Apostle Paul. Certainly, no one would deny that some level of, of, of teaching or, or example is present in Paul's writings, but we would almost tend to say that it's just not his, his forte, it's just not what he dwells upon. But that conclusion results from a misunderstanding of the terminology that Paul does use. There is a very strong discipleship motif in the Apostle Paul. He just phrases it better, but because we're not expecting it, it leads us to think that this is not Paul's thing. And instead, uh, there are other interests in the, the teachings of the Apostle Paul that quickly eclipse the terms that Paul does use, the vocabulary, the, the concepts that Paul does use to emphasize this very important doctrine, the doctrine of discipleship. 
one writer in a very good exegetical work on, on this topic writes this, and, and, he, and he ties this into the vocabulary of Paul as it relates to discipleship, the vocabulary we're looking at this afternoon, that of imitation. He, he says this, quote, All of Christendom has heard of the imitation of Christ. Few within Christendom have heard of the imitation of Paul. Perhaps there is nothing extraordinary about such a state of affairs. After all, Christ fills a far more significant role in Christianity than the Apostle Paul. And yet, when one looks at the matter purely statistically, it is striking to find that the thought of the imitation of Paul comes to literal expression in the New Testament five times, while the thought of the imitation of Christ is found literally expressed only twice. We'll get into that language a little bit more. But before we do, another common tendency with respect to Paul and discipleship and his, his language of imitation is that this is also a detested concept. It is neglected by some, but it is detested by others. Now, the whole idea of imitation as discipleship assumes that you have an exemplar. The exemplar is the standard, the, the one who serves as the model, the prototype, the pattern to, to imitate. And then, of course, you have the mimicker, the, the one who conforms his life to that standard. In fact, even that very term mimicker is, is a term of derision. You know, we don't like that term. It, it, it doesn't, it isn't a, a positive term in our vocabulary today. But especially today in our postmodern society, which so strongly emphasizes subjectivity and individuality, the concept of imitation is despised. The contemporary church has a fixation upon diversity, a fixation upon individual expression, and of course it has a hostility toward hierarchy in the church, and that has led to a disdain of the very notion of imitation. Any, any idea of imitation, any invitation to imitate is, is viewed as a power play, a, a naked attempt to establish hierarchy, to demand conformity, to reinforce one's interpretation of truth and reality upon others. The popular sentiment today is that the, the Christian life is a life of self-expression. The place where you can be who you are. And in fact, that's how many churches will advertise themselves today. A place where you can be you. And you can do you. And more and more churches today are following the pattern of the first, of the, of the church of Corinth as, that we read of in 1 Corinthians and that they openly express their welcoming of those who have very diverse moral and theological views. That today has become a badge of honor, and any call to conform to a standard both doctrinally and behaviorally, morally, is considered to be nothing short of boastful pride. One writer, a professor of religion at Columbia University, writes this, Elizabeth Castelli writes this, the notion of imitation, quote, functions in Paul's letters as a strategy of power. That is, it articulates and rationalizes as true and natural a particular set of power relations within the social formation of early Christian communities. 
she goes on to say this. Paul's invocation of mimesis indicates, or, or excuse me, indicts the very notion of difference and thereby constructs the nature of early Christian social relationship. Christians are Christians insofar as they strive for the privileged goal of sameness. Christians distinguish themselves from those who are not Christians, who are not saved, precisely in this drive for sameness. Difference has only negative connotations in the mimetic economy, end quote. So for her and for many today in the church, this concept of sameness is abhorrent. Now, we're not talking about sameness and idiosyncrasies and uh, how we articulate words and, and, and manners like that. We, we're talking about sameness in, in terms of doctrine and morality. And that very notion of pursuing sameness and being different from the world is precisely under attack because of this kind of, of, of thinking, the thinking of Foucault, that this is, uh, this is just power play. It's all about power and oppression when you tell others that they must imitate or they must conform their lives to a standard. But what does Paul teach in this? And what, what is at the heart of his call to imitate him and to imitate others? Let's turn now to look at his vocabulary of imitation to see how he uses it to express his theology of discipleship. What I want to do right now is, is take you through some of the key terms and the key texts. Now, I'm not going to be able to take you through all of the, the writings of Paul and look at all of the less obvious times when he relates to this concept of imitation. I have to be very sensitive to the time here. So I want to focus on the most, the, the, the most direct statements that Paul makes. First of all, he uses the term mimetes. He uses the term, the Greek term mimetes, which means imitator. It comes from the root mime, and from that term, even in the English language, from that root, we get terms like mimic, mimicry, mimicker. Its emphasis was, was as follows, to, to be a mimetes, it was to bring to expression or representation or portrayal something else that is viewed as the prototype. That's the idea behind this. Paul uses this term several times, and undoubtedly you're familiar with, with most of these. Paul uses it, for example, in 1 Corinthians 4 verse 16, where he says, Therefore I exhort you, be imitators of me. We'll come back to that in a few moments. In the same letter, in chapter 11, verse 1, he says, Be imitators of me, just as I also am of Christ. In Ephesians chapter 5, verse 1, he uses mimetes to call upon the entire church in Ephesus to be imitators, mimetes, of God as beloved children. We also find this term used a couple of times in his correspondence to the Thessalonians. In 1 Thessalonians chapter 1, verse 6, he doesn't command it here, 
He simply recognizes it as a reality. It is, a, is it is truth among a, a congregation, a new, a new gathering of converts. He says this, you also became imitators of us and of the Lord, having received the word in much tribulation with the joy of the Holy Spirit. He goes on a little bit later in chapter 2, verse 14, to express much the same idea, again using the indicative, saying, you became imitators of the churches of God in Christ Jesus that are in Judea, for you endured the same sufferings at the hands of your countrymen, even as they did from the Jews. Paul also uses a cognate noun, another term, sumimetes, Sumimetes, which means fellow imitator. It has the idea of association here of two people joining together to, to imitate someone else. And we find this term in Philippians chapter 3 verse 17. Paul says, brethren, join in following my example. Literally, the text reads, brethren, become fellow imitators. Become fellow imitators. And observe those who walk according to the pattern you have in us. We'll come back to the word pattern in just a few moments. It's another, it's another uh, uh, synonymous term here. But sum mimetes. He also uses the verb mimetomai, to mimic, to imitate, to emulate, to follow. He uses it twice in his second letter to the Thessalonians. In chapter 3, verses 7 to 9, he says this, For you yourselves know how you ought to follow our example. There's the verb, to follow our example. Because we did not act in an undisciplined manner among you, nor did we eat anyone's bread without paying for it. But with labor and hardship, we kept working night and day so that we would not be a burden to any of you, not because we do not have the right to do this, but in order to offer ourselves as a model for you so that you would follow our example. Mimites, sum mimites, and mimetomai. There are also other terms that are related to this concept of imitation. We come to the term tupas, which means type or model or pattern. And Paul uses this one even more frequently. We find it there in Philippians 3.17. We've read it already. When he says this in the second half of that exhortation, he says, observe those who walk according to the pattern the pattern you have in us. It, th- this pattern is a visible pattern. This pattern is a reproducible pattern. This pattern is a clear pattern that can be recognized and emulated. In First Thessalonians 1 verse 7, Paul says that after the Thessalonian converts had imitated Paul and, and the Lord... They then became the tupas. They then became the example. And so you have the picture of discipleship so vividly presented there that these new converts in Thessalonica who are maybe six months old in Christ by the time that Paul writes First Thessalonians, not only had they in that early stage of their Christian life already become imitators of Paul and Sylvanus and Timothy, but their lives now had become the tupas, the pattern for others to imitate. There you have the picture so clearly painted of of early Christian discipleship. 2 Thessalonians 3 verse 9, in order to offer ourselves as a model for you so that you would follow our example. In 1 Timothy chapter 4 verse 12, Paul says, let no one, Timothy, let no one look down on your youthfulness 
but rather in speech, conduct, love, faith, and purity, show yourself a tupos, show yourself an example, a standard of those who believe. The same essential idea is communicated to Titus in Titus chapter 2, verses 7 to 8, where Paul says, in all things, show yourself to be an example. In all things, show yourself to be this tupos, an example of good deeds, purity in doctrine, dignified, sound in speech, which is beyond reproach, so that the opponent will be put to shame, having nothing bad to say about us. Another term that is used is a term that means pattern, model, standard, hupa tuposis. And we find this used twice. 1 Timothy 1.16, Paul uses it actually to refer to his conversion, his reception of grace, how the Lord had saved him. He said, for this reason I found mercy so that in me as the foremost, Christ Jesus might demonstrate his perfect patience as an example for those who would believe in him for eternal life. Paul became an example in that he was so graciously redeemed despite his unworthiness. He became an example. Second Timothy 1.13, Paul says to Timothy, retain the standard, hupatuposis, retain this standard, this model of sound words which you have heard from me in the faith and love which are in Christ Jesus. Now, those are the regular terms that are directly connected to the concept of imitation and pattern. But there are many, many other texts in Paul that express the same idea, yet not using the specific terminology. For example, in in his Ephesian address, Paul addresses those Ephesians and he draws attention to his own his own example in so many different ways. But if you notice verses 34 and 35, he says this, You yourselves know that these hands have ministered to my own needs and to the men who are with me. In everything, I showed you that by working hard in this manner, you must help the weak. Paul provided that vivid, that vivid standard, that vivid example. 1 Corinthians 4 verse 17, after Paul has called upon the the Corinthians to imitate him, there's some very important logic taking place there in that context. Verse 16 says, imitate me. He then goes on to say this in verse 17, for this reason, I have sent to you Timothy, who is my beloved and faithful child in the Lord, and he will remind you of my ways, which are in Christ just as I teach everywhere in, the, in every church. So Paul is, is saying this. He's saying, Corinthians, imitate me. And to help you in the process, I'm sending Timothy, my child, who will show you and exemplify to you my ways. This is transferable. It's transferable not simply by direct exposure to the apostle Paul himself, but it is transferable through Paul's own disciples. We'll come back to that text again. Galatians chapter 4, verse 12. Paul says this, I beg of you, brethren, 
Become as I am, for I also have become as you are. And in that context, Paul is dealing with the, the Galatians and their, their misunderstanding of the doctrine of justification. And, and Paul says, look, when I came to preach the gospel to you, I became as you are. I, I essentially became a Gentile. I had no reliance upon the law for my justification or my sanctification. And here he calls upon them to do the very same thing. Galatians. Stop being Judaizers. Become as I am. Look at my life as the example for doctrine. Philippians 4 verse 9. Paul says this. The things you have learned and received in, and heard and seen in me, practice these things. Notice his emphasis. You've learned it. You've received it. Those two words refer to verbal oral instruction and the reception of doctrine, but then he says, what you've seen in me, what you've seen in me, he, he, doesn't, he, he doesn't hesitate to, 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 to challenge them to look upon his life as well. He did not view his life as some kind of neutral element in the process or equation. He called upon them to, to receive and to hear, but also to see 1 Thessalonians 1 verse 5, this, this is a regular uh, emphasis in the Thessalonian correspondence. Paul regularly reminds them of how he lived among them. And he says this in verse 5 of chapter 1, Just as you know what kind of men we proved to be among you for your sake. Literally, what kind of men we became among you. In other words, these Missionaries Paul, Silvanus, and, and Timothy were completely unknown to the Thessalonians. And they didn't just come with a message, but they became among the Thessalonians. And, and the idea there is, is, is that they, uh, they, 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 they formed themselves among the Thessalonians for them to observe. In fact, he says, we proved to be among you and we did so for your sake. 2 Timothy 3, verses 10 to 11, he says this to Timothy. Timothy, now you followed my teaching and, and my conduct, purpose, faith, patience, love, perseverance, persecutions, and sufferings. This is far more than, than, just, than, than just the content of instruction. As you look at these nouns, there is conduct involved here. There are attitudes involved here. And, and, and Paul is saying to Timothy, Timothy, you have followed along not just with my doctrine, but with how I live, with how I deal with different circumstances in life, how I relate to, to the things that come my way. That's the vocabulary. We could go on. Uh, time doesn't, doesn't allow us to do that, but I trust you'll see that this is a far more complex and developed idea in Paul than meets the eye at first glance. Now, when we look at these texts and we wonder, okay, what is Paul getting at? What's the tupos here? What's the standard? There's some important observations to make. Paul does not just call upon others to imitate him. And this is an important consideration to make because of two reasons. First of all, it shows us that Paul is not simply trying to create a whole lot of Paul followers of those who will just say, I'm of Paul. In fact, we'll come to the first Corinthian correspondence in a minute. He's not interested in that. And you can see that he emphasizes that there are others who are to be 
modeled as well. So there's, there's more to it than, than just that. And it shows us also that Paul's teaching, as, as we look at the two paths, uh, that, that, that Paul has, the different, uh, examples here, that this is not just descriptive. As, as we're going to look at some of these, we're going to see this is not just Paul describing what was unique to him as an apostle of a man of that status as a foundation in the church. No, we're going to see that this is also prescriptive and that it relates to examples far beyond just the apostles. Now, who are those to be imitated? First of all, you have this very unique statement. You don't have a a lot of these kinds of statements, but you do find it in Ephesians 5 verse 1 where Paul says God is to be imitated, where he says that you are to to love as God's beloved children, imitate God. And it's in that context particularly emphasizing the need for kindness and forgiveness. And as some have said, you, you really become an imitator of God as you express kindness and extend forgiveness. Few things make you as godly as that. We have Christ or the Lord who is also held up as the two pos and and in several cases, 1 Corinthians 11 verse 1, imitate me as I imitate Christ. Or in 1 Thessalonians 1 6, you became imitators of the Lord and of us. Philippians 2, 5 to 11, it's one of those imitation texts. We didn't mention it previously, but Paul says, have this attitude, which was also in Christ Jesus. And then you have one of the, the most profound texts written for us in, in Philippians. Have this attitude, which was in Christ Jesus. Christ is the tupos. Now, most of the terms or most of the, the uh, instances do relate to Paul himself. You have an abundance of that, and that makes sense because of Paul's, the, the seriousness with which Paul looked at his own ministry, and he calls upon his readers numerous times to follow his example, but not just his. He also, he also lists how, and he does so in a positive way, how others have followed the example, not just of Paul, but of Paul and his missionary companions in 1 Thessalonians. Paul and Silvanus and Timothy. In, in Philippians, it was Paul and Timothy. Not just Paul, but Timothy too was to be imitated. The Thessalonian believers became the tupos, the, the example for others to follow. The Judean churches were an example to the Thessalonians on how to receive the word in, in, and, and be persecuted for it in the proper way. Paul calls upon Timothy to be an example. He, he calls upon Titus to be an example. So all of these show us that this isn't just Paul saying, I am the prototype and everybody needs to become a little Paul. He's not interested in that. In fact, when you look at a a text like 1 Corinthians and you you read it in the the larger context of of chapter 3, verse 5, all the way up to what he says in chapter 4, verse verse 16, where he calls upon them to imitate, he's discussing the the service that he and Apollos had rendered the church. And and he begins in in 3, verse 5 and says, what then is Apollos and what is Paul? Servants through whom you believed. He goes on to say, I planted, Apollos watered, but God caused the growth. 
So then neither the one who plants nor the one who waters is anything, but it's God who causes the growth. And you find in the preceding context to the command in chapter 416, Paul over and over and over again saying, I'm nothing. I'm nothing. I'm nothing. And he still calls upon them to imitate him. And it's, it's indicating that Paul is not interested in developing a fan club. It's not about imitating his idiosyncrasies and how he preaches and, and how he expresses words and his hand gestures. No, there's something far more at it. And eventually he'll get to that in chapter 11, verse 1, when he says, follow me as I follow Christ. That's how the image of Christ, which is the goal of all Christian living, is communicated. We all will get there one day, Romans eight twenty nine. We all will be conformed, but in the process, the way of that conformity is through the means of both instruction and lifestyle. Follow me as I follow Christ. But a little more specifically, we can look at this also in terms of the behaviors and beliefs to be imitated. Now, in these contexts where these terms are so vividly used, what is Paul emphasizing? Again, as I said, it's, it's not about idiosyncrasies and, and personal preferences here. These are some pretty significant things. And it's helpful to look at what exactly Paul calls upon others to imitate, whether in him or in others. In that context of 1 Corinthians, Paul does emphasize that there, what is to be, what is to be imitated in, in the context of 1 Corinthians 4 is this humble, self-abasing service for the benefit of the church. In the, in the verses that lead up to 4, verse 16 and 17, when he talks about sending Timothy to remind the Corinthians of his ways, in that whole context, Paul is dealing with the problem of divisiveness, where some are saying, I am of Apollos, I am of Cephas, I am of Paul. Paul's attacking that and is calling them back to a, a humble self-abasement for the good of the church and its unity. That, Paul says, imitate. Corinthians, imitate my very approach. We see it also in, a little later in 1 Corinthians 11, verse 1. He calls upon them to, to imitate him. But what's so very important there is, is to look at the, very, the immediately preceding verse. 11, verse 1 belongs with 10, verse 33. And, and actually... Beginning in 31, he says this in, in 1 Corinthians 10, 31. Whether then you eat or drink or whatever you do, do all to the glory of God. Give no offense either to Jews or to Greeks or to the church of God, just as I also please all men in all things, not seeking my own profit, but the profit of the many so that they may be saved. And then he gives this closing exhortation in that context. Be imitators of me just as I am of Christ. If you want to look at one who has sought the salvation of others, who has laid down his own glory, who has come to, to give up his own, his own preferences, it's Christ. But Paul has also done that. So he calls upon the Corinthians for the sake of the salvation of others. Hey, give up your, your personal preferences, your rights, in order not to be a stumbling block in gospel proclamation. In fact, the contrary, in order that you may be used to save some. What also is to be emulated is love. As I've mentioned already, love expressed particularly through kindness and, and through forgiveness. 
We can talk a lot about the need to forgive. We can talk a lot about the need to love and extend mercy toward others. But few things are as, as, as impactful and memorable as seeing it in real life as obedience puts that into practice. And Paul says there in, 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 in Ephesians chapter 5 verse 1, look at what God has done. Now do the same thing in your own lives. The joyful reception of God's word is to be imitated, particularly in the face of harsh opposition. Paul points to that in 1 Thessalonians, how the Thessalonians had received the word in great tribulation with great joy. There's a paradox there. Because in great tribulation, there's usually not great joy, but Paul says that what is to be emulated in the Thessalonians is the the contrary, that in the midst of that, difficult circumstances, there is a joyful reception of the word. In Philippians 3 verse 17, you know it takes place in that important context of Philippians chapter 3 verse 2 to 21 and Paul's command for the Philippians to imitate him is connected to his renouncing of religious privileges and achievements and living for and by Christ alone. That is what is to be emulated. In 2 Thessalonians, what is to be emulated is taking responsibility for one's needs so as not to be a burden to the church. When Paul arrived in Thessalonica, he he didn't charge them to hear the gospel. He preached it and ministered it freely, no price attached. Paul says, I did this as an example for you so as not to burden the church. Providing practical help to the needy and practicing generosity. Paul says that he was an example of that for others to follow. In, in, in terms of Titus and Timothy, they were to be blameless in speech, conduct, love, faith, purity, teaching, patience, perseverance, purpose, sufferings, and so on. They were to be an example, a, a vivid, concrete blueprint of how this looks in real life. And when you look at Galatians 4 verse 12, where Paul says to the Galatians, he calls upon them to become as, as he is. In that case, it was living out the full implications of the doctrine of justification. That's not just a theoretical idea, justification. There are a lot of practical implications that flow out of that reality. And, and Paul says, imitate those practical things as, as I do in my own life. So again, when we look at these things, we see that what is, what is at, at stake here, what is, what is to be the standard, the tupas, what is to be imitated are not the personal preferences, but moral practice, behaviors and attitudes and doctrinal realities, the truths of divine revelation. Now, where does this all come from? Why does Paul... Why does Paul use this logic? Well, he draws upon what was a very powerful picture. He did not invent the idea of imitation. It was very much a part of Greek culture, very much a part of Jewish culture. The, 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 there was few things as powerful as the power of example, of personal example. One writer writes this. He said, from earlier times, the Greeks had noticed that an essential part of the growth and education process in human beings is by the process of imitation. This applied 
not alone in developing mechanical skills, but fully as much in the development of character and in the formation of one's customs, ways, and way of life. In the process of developing by way of imitation, parents and teachers played a most important role as example. So Paul, as he teaches on discipleship, draws upon this powerful picture. Actually, two of them. The first one is is this, the role of the father. This is where the logic comes from. Paul recognized a very important relationship that exists in humanity. Now, again, this is under great attack today as, as, as parents are being pushed out of the, uh, the, the, the rights. Their, their rights are being removed in terms of forming their own children. It is under attack. But it's also being largely ignored by many men as fathers. There is a power that comes from the, the, the father to, to his children. And that has always been there, and that is there by divine design. And Paul brings that into this concept of discipleship and says that, that, this, is, that this is the way that you are to look at, at your people as a father. As a father looks upon his children. You see that come out, for example, in 1 Corinthians 4, 14 to 17. He says, I do not write these things to shame you, but to admonish you as my beloved children. For if you were to have countless tutors in Christ, yet you would not have many fathers. For in Christ Jesus, I became your father through the gospel. Therefore, I exhort you to be imitators of me. For this reason, I have sent to you Timothy, who is my beloved and and faithful child in the Lord, and he will remind you of my ways, which are in Christ, just as I teach everywhere in every church. Paul often referred to himself as a father, and there's a, a reason he does that, and that is not simply to exert authority and demand obedience. Understand that. When Paul is referring to himself as a father, he is also at the same time calling upon this powerful relationship that was so respected in Greek culture as well as in Jewish culture and is, and is, and is focusing on the, the, the imitation that must naturally, logically, consequentially take place because of this relationship. He also, he also uh, talks about himself in the role of a teacher. We don't have a lot of time to go into this. Just an example, even from the world of Paul's day, Dio Chrysostom, who was a orator, a Greek orator of the first century, wrote this, recognizing the, the role of teachers in those days. Today, again, uh, this has been largely undermined in our society and even in the church. This is what Dio Chrysostom said in, in respect to Greek culture. He said, then if a follower, we would also be a pupil. For whoever really follows anyone surely knows what that person was like. And by imitating his acts and words, he tries as best as he can to make himself like him. But that is precisely, it seems, what the pupil does. By imitating his teacher and and paying heed to him, he tries to acquire his art. And this is exactly what we need to recover in our own ministries. This kind of relationship. Jesus put it this way in Luke 6.40, A pupil is not above his teacher, but everyone after he has been fully trained will be 
like his teacher. And understand, that first and foremost does relate to to knowledge. No doubt about that. But it must not stop there. It must extend also to behavior, to attitudes. When a disciple, when a church member has been fully trained, he will be like his teacher, like his pastor, his elder. We find this regularly in in the context of these these uh, these calls to to imitate, and I'll just refer to one before we move to some implications in closing. But in First Timothy four verses eleven to twelve, as as Paul calls up, uh, upon Timothy to be an example for others, right before he does that, he says, "Prescribe and teach these things, Timothy." Emphasizing immediately, bringing into Timothy's own mind immediately the picture of a teacher. And highlighting a pupil, a teacher-pupil relationship. And then immediately after emphasizing this teaching, he then says, be an example, Timothy. Again, showing us the, 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 the logic behind uh, Paul's, Paul's instruction here. And showing us uh, that, that there is, by divine design, this, this very powerful relationship that exists between teachers and pupils when it's done the right way. Well, we could talk a lot about this, but I want to close with some implications for us. As I said, when we look at all of Paul's teaching on imitation, we see that it's not just descriptive. It's prescriptive. It's not just a picture of Paul in his unique apostolic authority and what he was able to accomplish. Now, when we look at the full scope of Paul's teaching, we see that this is, this is how the church is to work. This is how 2 Timothy 2.2 is, is to, to, to function. This is how the gospel is, is to go from generation to generation and from one person to the next and how disciples are to be made in the spirit of the Great Commission. This is how it works. So what are the implications for us? And this is where it gets very convicting. Number one, respect the power that personal example brings to the disciple-making process. Respect the power that personal example brings to the disciple-making process. I fear that we, we so underestimate this power. We so underestimate it, and it could very well be that our discipleship today is anemic because we think that all we need to do is just provide information and not a life, not an example. Respect this power, recognize it. And it's, this is not just something pragmatic or quirky. This is something that God has designed in human relationship. Respect this power. Number two, acknowledge that disciple making requires more than mere preaching and teaching. Yes, preaching and teaching is the foundation. Yes, that's where it all begins. And without preaching and teaching, there is no gospel and and there is no true confirmation or, or conformity to the person of Jesus Christ. And all the wisdom and knowledge that he represents. Yes, it must begin with the revelation of God and the communication of that knowledge, of that word. But, but, our responsibility in the church is not just about preaching and teaching. 
These texts emphasize to us how important personal example is in the process of of making disciples. You, You must be more than a talking head. You must be more than someone who enters the pulpit for one hour once a week and then is absent from the life of the people. Number three, open the windows for people to see you in various circumstances of life. I read to you some of those texts where Paul doesn't just say you, you have, you have heard of my preaching, but, but he talks about, for, for example, in, in 2 Timothy 3 verse 10 and 11, he says, you have, you have followed my teaching, yes, but he says you followed my conduct. You followed my purpose. That's kind of abstract. That's kind of a life kind of thing. You followed my faith. You followed my patience. You followed my love. You followed my perseverance. You followed my persecutions. You followed my sufferings. And in that, you have a a, a penelope of, of different kinds of circumstances and events. And for Paul to be able to call upon Timothy's memory of those things means that, that, that Paul had his life open. And it wasn't just a, a little snippet of his daily or weekly schedule. It was a whole life. And this is challenging, of course. I feel that the challenge from this, preaching often twice a week, takes a lot of preparation to do that faithfully. But how do we do this? And it means we must strive also in this. Strive not only to to prepare those sermons well, but strive also to open these opportunities for people to see how we respond in the different circumstances of life. How we raise our children. How we interact in our families and with with our wives. How we deal with the the, the challenges that, that come. The persecutions and so on. Number four... And even more challenging here is this. Examine your life to see if you are worthy of being imitated. Indeed, there is a a pushback on the concept of imitation. People will immediately, people who detest the idea will immediately point out all these bad apples. and, And therefore just automatically write off the concept of imitation. What this does to us when we realize that we can't write off the concept of imitation, it is a biblical paradigm, it means we must do thorough, regular, consistent self-examination. In the different moments of life, always asking ourselves the question, number one, does this please the Lord? And number two, is this an example for my people to follow? What I do on social media, the entertainment I can consume, the way I drive, all of these different things. Is this the example of my conduct, my, my relationship to others, my attitudes? And then number five and foremost means we must imitate Christ. Paul was able to call upon the Corinthians to imitate him. He did so without... Uh, without having to qualify it with a thousand qualifications. He was able to call upon the Corinthians to, 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 to imitate him because his conscience was clean. His life was dedicated to imitating Christ. To living according to that ever-increasing conformity in all areas of life. With Christ as the, the great 
the great prototype, the archetype. It wasn't about Paul. As I said, he would say he's nothing. What then is Paul, he says? Nothing but a servant. But he could call upon the Corinthians to imitate him because he was so focused on being a mirror to reflect the character and glory of Jesus Christ. And that is our ultimate calling. And if we fail there, we've, we've failed as pastors. It doesn't matter how ornate our sermons are. If we fail at our own pursuit of Christ-likeness and conformity to him, then as he would say, according to 1 Timothy 3 and Titus 1, you don't deserve to be in the pulpit, in the pastorate, This must define who you are. Let's pray that that would be our heartbeat. Father, we are grateful for your word, which which provides such clear teaching and is so sharp and penetrating, cutting deep within, dividing between joints and marrow. And certainly when we see the standard that is held up for us, that we are to imitate, the standard that we see in Paul and others like Timothy and Titus and Paul's colleagues, we recognize that there is a lot of work that still must be done in our lives. But we pray that that would that would increasingly change as, as we commit ourselves to this path, to, to this line of following Paul so as to be an example to others. And ultimately, most of all, we pray that you would give us an ever-increasing knowledge of Jesus Christ, of who he is as revealed in the pages of Scripture And that that would infatuate us, and as it does, that glory would automatically change us. And that our people then, without us even needing to invite them or instruct them, would automatically be drawn to imitation of us. This is how you've designed your church to function, and we, we, we want to be faithful in it, but we need your strength and and empowerment and wisdom. And so we ask for that for your church's sake and ultimately for the glory of Christ, our prototype. In his name we pray, amen.